You're listening to the Teach From Home podcast. This podcast equips, educates, and encourages homeschoolers. My name is Beth Pavlik. I'm a homeschooling mom to four kids. I'm the owner of the YouTube channel, Teach From Home, and the website, BethPavlik.com, where you can find all kinds of great resources, including my online course for new homeschoolers. Welcome, and let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Today is January 15th, and this is the first podcast episode of the new year. So thanks for being here and a belated Happy New Year to you. In this episode, we are continuing our book discussion of Jim Trelease's Read Aloud Handbook, and we are on Chapter 7 today. The title of this chapter is The Impact of Electronic Media on Reading. And the first thing that it talks about is how, you know, in the digital age, all the kids are using tablets and and are they replacing, you know, reading and, and physical books? And the first thing that they cite is the Kaiser Family Foundation that reported that the amount of time kids spend with entertainment media has risen dramatically, especially among minority youth. And I just have to ask you, like, do your kids have iPads or any other electronic devices? Chances are they do. It's just very normal in this day and age. They give this timeline in the book of the media landscape, and it says, In 1970, children began watching TV regularly at about four years of age, whereas today, children start interacting with digital media as young as four months. In 2015, the vast majority of one-year-olds had already used a mobile device, and most two-year-olds used them on a daily basis. Preschoolers were already starting to use two or more forms of digital media simultaneously, such as watching TV while using an iPad. Preteens and adolescents use numerous digital media sources, an average of 8 to 10 hours a day, often in the form of media multitasking which has been associated with attention problems. Adolescents who frequently use digital media are more likely to develop attention deficit disorder. Other studies have shown there is statistical significance but modest association between a higher frequency of digital media use and subsequent symptoms of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, Additional research is needed, but this is something that parents, teachers, doctors, and tech companies should be aware of and continually monitor. It goes on to say, three-quarters of teenagers own a smartphone. 24% of adolescents describe themselves as constantly connected to the internet, and 50% report feeling addicted to their phones. 50% report feeling addicted to their phones. Teens who report feeling addicted primarily related to extreme text messaging. They may exhibit antisocial behavior and eroding self-confidence. Excessive use of digital media, especially too close to bedtime or viewing violent content, has been associated with restless sleep, higher obesity risk, and worse developmental and academic outcomes. Electronic devices are also dramatically altering the reading environment of children. Our prior notion of reading involved sitting down with a book and turning the pages. Today, it could mean holding a screen and touching words to have them read aloud. 
So this edition of Jim Trelease's Read Aloud Handbook was released in 2019, right before everything shut down and what did all of the school children have to do? They had to be on screens doing school from home for at least a year. And what did that do to them? I mean, that was, I think that the majority of people that I have talked to about that experience, that had that experience, talked about how it was a disaster. Um, And that's not even to mention, like, some of the students that didn't have access to those types of devices. And I know that some schools were able to provide those devices for kids because they were already using tablets in the classrooms. Um, Actually, some of my relatives that go to a school district that we are not a part of, they talked about how their kids were all given Chromebooks in their schools and in their classrooms, and they had personalized Chromebooks that they used for school. So I don't think that this is just an at-home problem, and I don't think that they're even, you know, this book is coming at it from um, kids that are going to public school. This is not a homeschooling problem. But I think about it as, you know, it's not the parents that are choosing to have the kids be on these devices all the time. The schools are promoting it too. They're going to a a digital form of textbooks, which I didn't even realize, and, and maybe doing their homework on them as well. I don't really know the full extent of what they're using Chromebooks or tablets in school for because I'm not in that environment. But what I do know is that my own kids use devices at home and I can tell you that during lockdown when there wasn't a lot of other things to do and no place to go and nobody to see, they did use their tablets way more than I ever wanted them to. We've always had really good balance and we have let them use it in moderation. But then when everything was so different and crazy and we were all just at home all the time, we definitely got into a bad habit of letting them use them way too often. The other thing that I thought about was the fact that there are so many wonderful uses for electronic devices. There are so many online platforms where kids can use academic educational tools. There's a lot of different places like Khan Academy where there are video lessons for any subject that you could ever want your kids to learn from. There are online one-on-one classes or one-on-one group classes. There are so many different platforms. The one I can think of right now is um, OutSchool where you learn with um, different teachers or um, my kids even used um, Homeschool Spanish Academy which was a one-on-one learning Spanish um, from a native speaker platform. And those are just the ones that come off the top of my head. But I know that there are all kinds of things where people can learn virtually. And I think that those were already in place before the pandemic just kind of, you know, blew up all types of virtual learning and virtual get togethers. It was already there. And I don't think that those things are bad. I think that they are so useful. But what the the trouble comes when kids do get addicted to it and they're not using it for educational things. We know that kids use their tablets and devices for all different kinds of things like gaming or, you know, meeting up with people on social media. I know personally in my house, my kids do use uh, their devices for games, but then at the same time, my seven-year-old daughter, she will write books on her tablet 
um, using just uh, Google Docs. And she also uses the software Canva for creating digital illustrations for those books. So she's using it for a lot of good things. And actually, since I have started this podcast and I use GarageBand to uh, record and edit my podcast episodes, she has been getting into using GarageBand on her tablet and she will record music or she'll record singing. And so there's lots of different good ways that we can use electronic devices with our children. I think that in moderation is the best way to do it. And we have to make sure that they are using electronic devices smartly. And that's also going to be different for every household. You know, your kids are going to use those devices for lots of different reasons, but we can't just have a blanket statement saying that all digital uh, devices are harmful or too much of it is is bad and and all of its uses um, can be detrimental to learning. I don't believe that. Another thing that they bring up in the book is, you know, virtual visits with family members on, you know, FaceTime or Zoom. I mean, how amazing are those kinds of connections for family members that live out of state or out of the country? I think all of those things are good and we didn't have that technology back when I was a kid. So I really appreciate those things. I think that having all of this technology and the ability to reach anyone anywhere in the world at any time, especially when we all had to be so isolated during the pandemic, was so vital and so needed. So I really applaud the technology when it comes to those types of things. It goes on to say how much screen time is recommended. And so I'm reading straight from the book. It says, other research details the harmful effects of very young children viewing television for over two hours daily. So instead of devices, it's just strictly talking about TV. The toddlers in this study were approximately six times more likely to develop delays in language development. A 2014 study of 15 to 35-month-old children discovered those with language developmental delays spent more than double the amount of time viewing screens each day. 117 minutes versus 53 minutes for children without language delay. What these studies reveal is that digital media viewing should not replace interaction with parents. Parents continue to be a child's first teacher, and this is particularly true regarding language development. So the next section title is, Can Television Support Reading Improvement? And this was really interesting to me. It says that the Television Decoder Circuitry Act of 1990 went into effect on July 1st, 1993, and mandated that all new television sets for sale in the United States must include caption decoding technology, if 13 inches or larger. Previously, closed captioning originated from an external decoder box that was expensive, $250, but the creation of an internal computer chip only added 3 to $10 to the cost of a TV. Today, closed captioning is built into every TV sold in America, and you can access it through the TV remote. And I love it. I use closed captioning all the time. And I definitely think that it does add to our kids' learning experience. I like to read the words while I'm watching TV. 
But my kids use it and they see it. And I do think that, that you're, you're listening to it and you're also looking at the words as they're reading it. And it's very interesting that they talked about how that can be helpful to children. It says here, many factors make closed captioning so useful as a reading tutor. There is a 30 to 1 ratio of visual receptors over auditory receptors in the brain. The chance of a word or sentence being retained in our memory bank are 30 times greater if we see it instead of only hearing it. Although a child may be too young to read yet, all the books, magazines, and newspapers in the home are acclimating him to the world of print. The same thing happens with closed captioning. In fact, you could argue that the characters on the television show are reading aloud the closed captioning to the child. I think that's awesome. And the next thing that they say is why you should develop a family media plan. And in this section, it says it's crucial for parents to know what their child is viewing online. Electronic devices offer ways to screen or even limit what a child can see. Make sure your child understands online citizenship and safety, which includes treating others with respect, avoiding cyberbullying, and being wary of online solicitation. Know who your child is connecting with on social media and help him or her understand the type of information they can share on websites and with others. And I've had this talk with my children in my own home already. And they know it. And it's like, I don't let them just go off in their rooms, shut the door and be on their devices. And I have no idea what they're doing. They are always staying in the living room. And we talk about things constantly. And none of my kids are on social media at all. I mean, all of them are under 12. So there's no way that I'm going to let them be on social media yet. None of them have phones. They can't text. So I'm not in that uh, age group yet of children who have those devices who are on social media. And I will get to that point when we choose to. Um, but right now, they sometimes play games where there is a chat. It's an open chat, though. It's not a private chat. And we just have those organic conversations when the, the situations come up. If somebody is being rude in the chat, then I can talk to my kids about how to deal with that. Uh, if somebody is asking for your personal information, my kids know to come to me and talk to me about that. And we can have that conversation about what is safe and what's not safe. And it's I, I absolutely agree with the book about how important it is to not only know what your kids are doing online, but also to have those very important conversations about boundaries and right and wrong when it comes to the internet. Because even though I love the technology, it can be so harmful as well if you're not using it properly. So I like that they added that into this. The next section is about using audiobooks, and they are so for them. You know, they talk about on family road trips, you can all listen to the same books on audio. We have definitely done that in the past, and actually coming up, we're going to be going on a vacation to Orlando, and that's going to be a two-day drive there and a two-day drive back. And what are we going to do? I'm going to look for the best audiobooks that all of my kids will enjoy, which might might be kind of tricky because of the age span, but I think that that's such a wonderful shared experience where everybody gets to sit and listen to these stories and 
and we just get to experience that together. It's, I think that audiobooks are amazing. We don't listen to them all the time in the home. I like to read the books out loud to my kids, and I like to use physical books for that. But I think audiobooks in the car are fantastic. The next section is about ebooks, and I was so surprised to learn that they are using e textbooks in classrooms. I had no idea. I just figured they were still using physical books, but maybe that's why they have the Chromebooks now. They're able to get their textbooks on their Chromebooks? I have no idea. But they're talking about the benefits of using e-textbooks in the classroom um, because there are hyperlinks in those books that connect to other things. So they give the example here where it says, suppose the class is studying the civil rights movement and reading books such as Voice of Freedom, Fanny Lou Hamer, Spirit of the Civil Rights Movement by Carol Boston Weatherford, or Freedom Walkers, the story of Montgomery Bus Boycott by Russell Friedman. A hyperlink in the text on an iPad could bring up Freedom Riders, a PBS American Experience program that follows the trail of 400 black and white riders who set out to violate Jim Crow bus laws and make the struggle into a focal point for the entire nation. Or they can watch and listen to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Hyperlinks in ebooks will bring thousands of free tutoring lessons from the nonprofit Khan Academy in any subject to any student anywhere in the world. A child in rural Georgia can have the same online tutoring lessons as a child in urban Chicago. So I love that too. I love ebooks. I actually use ebooks for myself. I don't use them for all of the books that I read. Here's here's the thing. I've had my Kindle for probably 10 years now. And I use it for my own personal reading. I like to read novels and and lots of fiction and I will borrow all of those on my Kindle. And the reason for that is because really the only time that I can have peace and read without any interruptions is when I go to bed at night. And when I go to bed at night, um, I just read it on my Kindle so that I don't have to be turning loud pages and I don't have to have the lamp on for when my husband is is sleeping and I'm going to distract him with that. So I will have the lights off. Um, I have the ability to turn my Kindle screen to black so that it's not, you know, that harsh light for my eyes at night. And I turn the pages very quietly and I prop it up on the the side of my nightstand and set it on my bed. And so I don't have to hold it. Um, And that is how I fall asleep every single night. And I also love ebooks because I can borrow them whenever I want. So if I'm reading at night at like 10.30 p.m. and I finish the book and I want to read another one because I haven't fallen asleep yet and I'm still awake, then I can just go borrow another one right then without having to go to the library, return that one, get a new one. It's just, it's just there for me. And the other thing that I really love about my ebooks is that if there is a word that I am not sure how to pronounce or anything that you are curious about in an ebook, all you have to do is long press on it and up will pop up Wikipedia or the dictionary or anything else like a pronunciation of that word. And I love that too. Sometimes I'll be reading and I'll see a word that I'm like, I think I know what that means, but I don't think I know what that means. I want to look it up. I just long press on it and the dictionary comes up. I love that about it. Now, when it comes to reference books, if I'm trying to study up on something, just recently, I borrowed a book called Free Range Learning, How Homeschooling Changes Everything. 
I borrowed that from the library and I wanted to have the physical book and I wanted to be able to turn the pages and I wanted to be able to flip through and I wanted to be able to know how far I was in the book. There are so many books like the Jim Trelease Read Aloud Handbook that I have a physical copy of this. I like to flip through it. I like to put a lot of bookmarks in it. I like to underline a lot of things. You can underline in ebooks too, which I really, really appreciate. But I just like to be able to flip through quickly and see what I have highlighted there's just a huge difference between a physical book and an ebook. And when I'm just reading a novel, a fictional novel for pleasure, I don't really care how far I am in it. I don't really have to flip through a whole lot. But when I'm reading a reference book and I really want to go back to the table of contents quickly, or I just want to be able to flip through, there's nothing better. Uh, you know, a physical book just doesn't compete with an ebook. The physical book is much better for that. So I really like to have physical reference books that I will highlight and I will be able to flip through really quickly. I just, I love having them on my shelf. So that's just my personal experience. When it comes to my kids, I don't think they've read more than two ebooks in their life. They always, always use physical books. And I don't think that there is a problem with that. I don't like the idea of them getting an ebook on their iPad because they will just swipe through. They might look at it and read it, but it's just not the same. I want their experience with books to be with the physical books, the the holding it, the the turning of the pages, the the different sizes and feel of books. Recently, I was just talking with my seven-year-old daughter about the difference between paperback and hardback books. And I had to, I picked up two different books and I showed her. I was like, look how this paperback book, you can really bend the cover of this book. But with a hardback, it is solid and you can knock on it with your knuckles and it's hard and it's m- much more sturdy for the the book and then she was able to be like oh okay with an ebook would she even know what hardback or paperback is no she wouldn't and I just think that I mean they love looking at illustrations I love to see my kids flipping through books and I just don't think you get the same experience especially with books that have illustrations I mean I read novels that do not have illustrations because I read adult books and so that's why I just can't imagine them. I know that they are they have some devices that that have color illustrations for ebooks. I just I just really want them to have the full experience. So when they get older, if they want to read ebooks, they can because I do think that they are something that's here to stay and they are really beneficial. But for now, yeah, those solid books are pretty good. And in this book, they have a title, they have a section titled Will Printed Books Become Obsolete? A Pew Research Center study in 2016 found that there is a growing number of Americans who are reading ebooks on their tablets or smartphones. However, print books remain much more popular for reading than their electronic counterparts. Children prefer to read books on paper rather than on a device such as an iPad or Kindle. They use their electronic devices for just about everything except reading books. Research has found that the more devices a child has access to, the less they read in general. This is true for young children as well as teenagers. School and public libraries that are removing paper books in favor of audiobooks and ebooks are limiting access to kids' preferred reading mode. Children also read more slowly, 6 to 11%, from a screen than from paper. 
As with automobile driving, humans may get better and faster at e-reading over the years, but that could take generations. However, in all fairness, audiobooks and ebooks are more accessible as long as there is a device to use. Websites such as Overdrive and Hoopla have books for both adults and children. All you need is a participating library and a library card. And just as a personal note, I have used Overdrive forever through our library. That's how I get my ebooks. And they just recently got taken over by Libby, like completely. They um, they shut down Overdrive and now it's Libby. And I just love it. Sometimes I do have to wait in line for a book. I don't just get to grab any book that I want, especially if it's a new popular book. There's usually a line. But that's okay because I can request like five different books at a time. And if one of them comes up ready for me when I'm not ready for it yet, I can just have them deliver like a week later and I can still hold my spot. They'll just deliver it to me later. And I just absolutely love that. The next section talks about educational apps. And it says children have learned at an early age how to turn a tablet on and off, as well as developing the dexterity to tap, swipe, and drag. There are numerous educational apps available for young children. These are multiplying at a rapid pace, and many are focused on early literacy skills. In analysis of the top free and paid educational apps for preschoolers, researchers explored whether these tools were successful in teaching children what was asserted would be learned. They found that 50% of the apps did not furnish instructions, with 33% of them providing only moderate instructions. Less than 15% of the apps repeated instructions. This is problematic given toddlers' short attention spans. More than two-thirds of the apps reviewed did not reduce the level of difficulty even when children struggled to answer the questions. Young children can use tablets and apps independently and competently in literacy learning, which may be perceived as an advantage. However, children can be distracted by the sounds, animation, and illuminated text may many apps contain. Of course, these features are what engage and motivate children to use the apps. What could be more fun than singing a silly song or seeing objects appear or disappear while learning the alphabet? There is a place for educational apps in developing literacy skills. As with any product you use or purchase, you need to know the quality of it and how well it fits the learning needs of your child. Keep in mind, tablets and smartphones should never replace interaction between parent and child. And I absolutely love that. I think that that is the key. I really believe that technology is fine. There are so many positive things that can come out of using educational apps or reading ebooks or connecting with other people somehow through online games or text messaging if your kids do that. But I absolutely think that when we turn to educational apps, when we turn to uh, ebooks that can be read to our children from the app, movies or TV shows that we try to use to teach them reading, none of that replaces us as the parents to these children. So they're a great addition to what we're already doing with them. I would hate to see people use ebooks with their kids that can be read to them instead of actually 
reading to their children and and holding a physical book and turning the pages and and letting your child ask questions halfway through or pointing to the illustrations and laughing at them or saying wow that's really pretty I wonder how they did that so many good interactions and questions and conversations happen when I sit down and read books with my kids all four of them the conversations are just so good and so I think that technology is really really great in moderation I don't know what we would do without it and there's so many wonderful tools but I think that it can't be everything so that was the end of that chapter I hope that you learned something new today I hope that it was beneficial to you just gave you something to think about and if you enjoyed this then I'm happy I'm happy that you got something out of it so Thank you so much for being with me today and I will see you in the next episode. Bye.